Some things shouldn't be transparent, like stop signs. But what you pay for should always be clear, like Hiller's true transparency pricing, always clearly itemized and never any hidden fees. Because you have the right to know what you're paying for. For more information, visit happyhiller.com slash true transparency pricing. Happy you'll be of the services free. Call the Happy Face Truck today. The Zone's non-stop sports talk continues with a look at Nashville's teams and at news around the nation from the lead writer of 1045thezone.com. This is The Big Six. The Big Six with Jason Martin. And here we go. Straight up, 6 o'clock by my watch means that it's time for the one and only Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. My name is Jason Martin. Blessed to be behind this microphone. Blessed beyond measure. Surely hope that you realize you are too. 615-737-1045. 737-1045. The gatekeeper tonight is Ryan Albanese. He's a tough cookie to crack, just like Jimmy Harper, just like Ryan Mudd. We've got David Ubbin coming up next segment. Writes for The Athletic, covers Tennessee. We'll talk all about the Cheney hire, and I've got a couple of basketball questions for him as well. We're going to talk about Antonio Brown tonight. We're going to talk about Trevor Lawrence versus your NFL quarterback tonight. But the story all week continues to be the hiring in the NFL. And I've talked plenty about Matt LaFleur. I've talked plenty about Cliff Kingsbury. That online announcement by the Cardinals that started by saying that Cliff Kingsbury was friends with Sean McVay is one of the great moments in the history of PR moves. Unbelievable that they didn't realize how dumb that sounded and then pulled back off it. But it's an overall trend of hiring this offensive-minded head coach, in many cases, though not all, young guys that are deemed to be quarterback whispers. I've been pretty critical, but let me point something out to you that I hope always comes across when you're listening to me. My job is to have an opinion and to base that opinion on what I see and what I know. I'm not always going to be right. In fact, it's probably more likely if I'm picking games in particular, I'm going to be wrong more than I'm right because what's supposed to happen often doesn't in life. A few months ago, I discussed with you the concept of the script in sports and I had you all call in and give me the things that just blew your mind that you didn't expect to happen moments that just changed you and and helped kind of draw you more in to this wonderful thing that we love called sports called athletics one of the great things about sports is how often it does not maneuver by design because of the upset potential inherent in any given game there is a true not a phony a true reality show to be found in athletic competition. And the younger the participants, the higher the potential for the unexpected. When you're immature or you're still learning as you're growing or your nerves get the best of you, it seems we see all sorts of wild stuff. Think about college football, college basketball. Crazy stuff happens all the time. Even though, yeah, you see the same cream rise to the top because top five recruiting classes, great coaches, and systems that have become NFL factories for recruits are hard to overcome. The script right now in the NFL because of the rules and just the way that this pro game has evolved lately is to find a coach that can call plays offensively and can mentor a young quarterback into 
being the face of a burgeoning franchise. How else could you explain what's happened in Cleveland? The Browns job has notoriously been the one you don't want to take. Haslam's a bad owner. They haven't had a quarterback since the Ulysses S. Grant administration. They're constant losers. All you've got is a great fan base. And by the way, that's not a small thing. If you win, they're going to be there. But if you lose, they're also going to be there. They just want to be good. They want to have something to root for. Baker Mayfield goes number one to the Browns last year. Question is, will this work? Did they screw up? Should they have taken Sam Darnold? I thought they should have taken Sam Darnold. I told you at the start of this show, I'm not always right. I still think Sam Darnold's going to be really good with the right coach. I love Sam Darnold as a pro, but Baker Mayfield's blown me away. It has worked so far. Freddie Kitchen starts working with Baker. The team starts winning. Notice Greg Williams is not the head coach of the Cleveland Browns. Freddie Kitchens wasn't even an offensive coordinator for a full season in Cleveland, and he's the head coach. Reports are, get this, Mayfield was conferenced in via Skype and video chat and was part of these coach discussions with John Dorsey and team ownership. Instrumental in picking the coach. Who do you want as your coach? I want Freddie Kitchens. Okay, Freddie Kitchens it is. Tell me who else has the power to make or break you in this league. And if your answer happens to be anything else other than a quarterback, you're wrong. McVay in L.A. has turned Jared Goff into the perfect version of what Jared Goff can be. Matt LaFleur was near Matt Ryan. He was near Sean McVay. And he did do some new things in Tennessee, though I'm on record saying I generally was not impressed. But let me go on record here now and say I don't know as much about football as Matt LaFleur does either. He was clearly a smart guy. He clearly could sell himself, and people that did talk with him extensively came across very favorable in their impressions of him. Now, I often credit the Ringer's NFL show for giving me new things to think about related to the league. I think these guys do the best job in the country with their NFL coverage. Robert Mays, Kevin Clark, they do two hour-long shows a week, one for Mondays, one for Thursdays, and I get more out of those conversations than almost anywhere else on a national level. And today, they went into a discussion about these hires, particularly Lafleur, Gase, and Kingsbury. And rather than sit here behind this microphone and just regurgitate what they said, I've cut a couple of minutes of this for you to hear, and I do think that this is something that is valuable, and then we'll talk about it on the other side. Here is the Ringer NFL show from earlier today with Robert Mays and Kevin Clark talking about some of these NFL hires. So yeah, the blueprint has become very obvious. What, We've seen what it's become over the last year or it so. It becomes a numbers it, game. I've talked about this. The 2013 hiring cycle had eight openings, and Andy Reid is the only team, only coach still with his, his team that cycle. Okay. And so by just a numbers game in the sense that if there are seven offensive head coaches of the eight openings, then someone's getting the seventh best head coach, seventh best offensive head coach hired in this cycle. And the problem is it's hard to decipher which one of those is the that's what I'm best. saying. And so if Matt LaFleur is the best offensive head coach of this cycle, congratulations, the Packers might win 11 games next year. If he's the seventh best, that's a problem. If he's the fourth best, that's a problem. I would say there's going to be there's probably two good offensive coaches of this batch. We don't know. We still don't know when the Rams hired Sean McVay. No one knew you were looking for a Sean McVay type. But we still no. don't know what a Sean McVay type means. Sean McVay has Wade Phillips. Sean McVay is obviously an incredible offensive mind, but he's also a culture builder. I mean, yes. we don't know what's going to happen 
if there's a, a, a locker room problem next year, are these guys just going to, you know, be in their office thinking of, of man coverage beaters? I don't know. I, I just, we don't know what a Sean McVay type really is. And owners are just guessing. Yeah, but they're guessing most of the time when it comes to the coach hiring process. So this is not different to me. And I do think that we know what a Sean McVay type is kind of by the tail of the tape, right? It's an offensive-minded, play-calling head coach. That works right now. That is what the but successful it's, it's worked forever. I mean, Sean Payton has worked forever. Michael sure, McCarthy for to a this while extent. worked. I'm just saying that, that 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 has it's not a new phenomenon. They're just there's just such an overcorrection towards it, and that we're now skewing towards the ridiculous. So, what say you to that? What Kevin Clark did there, he made the point that with all these hires going in this one direction offensively, with the exception of Denver with Vic Fangio, somebody just hired the seventh best offensive guy of this cycle or the sixth best offensive guy of this cycle. Is there a danger in that? Stop and think about it for a second. I bet you haven't considered it from that perspective. I certainly hadn't. There are only so many good offensive minds to go around, and we well know there are plenty of bad ones. If you're the sixth best in this class, or as Kevin mentioned, the fourth best, Consider all the other offensive minds better than all of these guys that are currently already employed in the NFL. Is it better to be a part of the pool on one side or to do as the Broncos just did, for example, and get the best number one defensive guy available? Someone you know is the best of this cycle on that side of the ball or to give somebody like Wink Martindale in Baltimore a legit look after the season the Ravens just put together. I don't know that there's a hard and fast answer to that. But the big thing here is, and I've stated my opinion, LaFleur hired me, I don't really get it yet. Kingsbury even less based on his history and the fact that he just inherited a bottom three roster in the NFL. But he did inherit what I think is a very potentially solid quarterback in Josh Rosen. And that's the key here. That's the whole deal with Kingsbury. The bet is that Kingsbury is going to make Josh Rosen better. And if he does, then this hire is a success for the Arizona Cardinals. That's why they brought him in. But nobody knows whether or not he's going to be good or bad. Nobody knows whether or not Matt LaFleur is going to be good or bad. Frank Reich, Matt Nagy, neither one of those guys were hires people were sure of at all a season ago. We're all guessing. That was the other point made in that audio. Folks, before Bill Belichick was Bill Belichick, he was just some dude named Bill, and we all misspelled his last name because we didn't know or care who he was. So I could be dead wrong on all of this. My job, once again, is just to evaluate what I'm seeing, state my opinion to you behind this microphone every night, and I'm well aware that in two years I might look like an utter, complete moron. I'm also well aware I might look like a genius. The beauty of sports is we're eventually going to know the answers to all these questions. And it's going to be a whole lot of fun to watch what's cloudy become clear as more and more of these games are played. One thing that I have not done, as I have been critical and I've tried to analyze this from my limited perspective and talk to people that know more about this than I do to try to find nuance in this. One thing I have not done, and I do want to do this, I want to congratulate Matt LaFleur. And I want to congratulate Cliff Kingsbury. And I want to congratulate, looks like, Zach Taylor, who may be the next Bengals coach, or that may actually be a done deal right now. Adam Gase, Freddie Kitchens, all the guys that got jobs this offseason, congratulations. 
I hope the best for every single one of them. Anybody that got a gig this offseason, that's awesome. I'm not rooting against anything. I'm not rooting for me to be right when I'm being fairly negative or critical of hires based on my information. I wish every one of those guys the best. But we know they're not all going to work out. And I think that Kevin Clark is right. If you're hiring seven offensive guys in this cycle, remember what he said in 2013, there were eight hires made. Andy Reid's the only one that's still with his team from that point. There are going to be a lot of failures and there are going to be a couple of hits. The question is, and what makes this fun is, we don't know who's going to hit and who's going to miss. We can only sit here and speculate. So we'll continue to do that because that's our job. We just don't know what's going to work out. What I do know, somebody that does work, is David Ubbin. He writes for The Athletic about Tennessee. We'll talk about the Cheney hire, which I do really like. We'll see if he agrees next. It's the Big Six on 104.5 The Zone. Welcome back. Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. I'm Jason Martin, your host as always. I'm on Twitter at jmartzone. You can follow me there, 615-737-1045. That is the portal to become a part of this program right now. We bring in, he's been on a couple of times before, and we chatted with him a lot during the Tennessee football season on the Tennessee tailgate show on the weekends with me and Joey Kent as well. He's David Ubbin of The Athletic, at David Ubbin on Twitter. David, how are you this evening? I'm doing pretty well, pretty well, even better with the... uh Never-ending OC search now uh, in the rearview mirror. All right, so 44 days to get this thing finally squared away in Knoxville. I don't know that anybody should be complaining, though, because it didn't appear to hinder recruiting in any significant way. And the crucial thing was not being first, but making sure you got it right. You're looking at Hugh Freeze, not sure how likely that ever was to happen. Then you get some of the other guys with a little bit more name recognition that might not have been the right fit. So here comes, well, he turns 57 in two days. Jim Chaney. On its face, David, this seems to make a lot of sense. Do you agree? Yeah, it's a good fit. I mean, you have an experienced coach, which I felt like, which I felt like his first staff was kind of missing a little bit. You have a guy whose philosophy more closely aligns with what Pruitt always talks about wanting offensively, so that pro-style ball control offense. And, and uh, you know, he's obviously pretty versatile, but, but certainly if, if they're going to control the pace, that's what they want to do. Uh, and so, yeah, and I think you mentioned the timing. Besides fans being antsy, there really wasn't a negative for it lasting, you know, super long. I don't think Pruitt's shedding too many tears over folks like me having tracked this for a month and a half. And, uh, and, and fans, you know, even if they're antsy, when you deliver Jim Chaney, all that stuff, you know, dissipates uh, like a myth. So no one cares anymore because they're happy that, that Jim Chaney's here. How important is it that Cheney not only understands what it means to be a part of the Southeastern Conference, not only that he's had experience in the SEC, but that he has found success, particularly in working with quarterbacks and just being able to negotiate the difficulty of being a part of the SEC? I, mean, I think it's big. I think the, the, the thing that people kind of overlook a little bit with Jim Cheney is obviously last year, Aaron Pruitt's handprints were all over the offense. Um, and that's a natural reaction for a first-time head coach who hires a, a first-time coordinator who'd never called plays, uh, much less done so in, in the SEC, and, and Dyson Helm didn't know the SEC. Well, now you got Jim Chaney coming in here, who's got a decade of experience. He's coached at three different places in the SEC. He knows the league. He has experience. I mean, if you're Jeremy Pruitt, you got to sleep a little better knowing that your offense is in the hands of somebody who, yeah, maybe they're not an innovator, maybe they're not a complete game-changer, but they're a guy who's going to get done what you want to get done and, and I feel like it's going to be easier for him to, to trust that and to be able to delegate a little bit. I, I think that's a, 
a natural reaction and I think a, an overlooked aspect of this hire. Coexisting and meshing with Pruitt, that had to be the most important thing here. It didn't work with Tyson Helton, as you just mentioned, first year, young versus old. Tyson Helton may be great at Western Kentucky. It's my alma mater. I certainly hope he is very good there. But this one feels totally different in terms of mentality and attitude and expectation. When you think about Jeremy Pruitt and Chaney, that seems to be a marriage that has a real potential to work and work big and also work quickly. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think, too, you know, when you have a, a, a you know, I, I'm hitting on this a lot, but the experience aspect of it, I mean, last year you had a first-time head coach, a first-time defensive coordinator, even though Kevin Scherer wasn't calling the defense, mm-hmm. and you had a first-time offensive coordinator. That's a lot of people figuring a lot of stuff out at the same time. And I think when you have, you know, I, I thought it would, would have been good for Pruitt to hire an ex-head coach of some kind to, to come down and, and just be able to, to bounce things off of running a, a team for the first time. And, and he still hasn't done that, obviously, but I think having a more experienced uh, coach in there and, and a guy that, that will bring a little bit more uh, experience into the staff, I think it can only really only help them in the long run. David Ubbin of The Athletic is our guest here on the Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Georgia's going to reload. That's what Kirby Smart has proven already to be able to do. They're building a machine down there in Athens. But in the short term, the Bulldogs have lost their D.C., and now they lose Cheney to an SEC East rival. Maybe that's not really the word I should be using. Tennessee fans are hoping <laughs> that that becomes a thing again. But how big a deal is this on the Georgia side to see Cheney bolt for Knoxville? Well, it's not good for Georgia. That's the thing is I, I, I think, you know, it's not a, you know, I don't think it's a, a gigantic haymaker to Georgia, and they're going to have to recover from that. But ultimately, you know, to, to use a, a phrase from Jeremy Pruitt, sometimes the offensive coordinator is overrated in that if you've got five-star talent all over the field like Georgia does, a lot of different stuff can work. You know, I really thought that, you know, if Alabama really wanted to run the triple option, you think Alabama can get to the playoffs? My guess would be yes. Mm. And so, uh, you know, Georgia will find somebody and, and – and, Life's pretty easy when you got as much talent as, as Georgia does. Well, uh, based on what we're seeing in the NFL, they would not understand what's happening right now in the SEC East in particular, but it's loaded with defensive head coaches, which apparently the NFL does not value very much anymore. But another advantage with this hire, Cheney has gone up against these guys before. He knows their tendencies. You could see that he could use that to craft good schemes and the right game plans that could exploit those defenses. I know that sounds like common sense. It's almost a dull reaction, but... Cheney has a lot of experience with these SEC defenses. And just to give Vols fans listening a little bit more hope, no way, David, that could be a bad thing for Tennessee's offense in terms of the wealth of knowledge that he brings in. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's always going to be a collaborative effort to put together the game plan. But when you have another mind in there that it's seen, I mean, he's never going to see something either on tape while you're developing a game plan or on a Saturday that, that – you know, it just confounds him. I mean, <laughs> there, there's, there's only so many things you, you can do. There's not a ton of offensive innova- or defensive, uh, you know, innovations that, that, that you're seeing that are just completely uh, confounding him. It's all about matchups, getting in the right situations, having a quarterback who knows how to check you into what you need to do, and, and, and those things, and developing a quarterback, and, and helping a quarterback sort of have a mind meld with the OC and say, okay, here's what our offense does. These are the things we try to accomplish and when you see this defensive look, obviously that's what we want to do. If you can get that on the same page, I think Darren Thomas struggled a little bit with that. But Helton last year, um, experience there, and a guy that, that sort of, like I said, understands what to expect and can, can, can be a guy that thinks a little bit of a, a step ahead can only help. 
when you look at guys like Ty Chandler, Tim Jordan, Chaney has, well, he's worked with some special running backs. He's worked with some really good quarterbacks recently, Fromm in particular. Do the backs that are wearing the power tee right now, and maybe even the quarterback in Garantano, does that fit the bill for guys Chaney can make much better in terms of their style and what he likes to do? I know Ty's shifty and athletic. He's lightning quick. Jordan's more of a power back, more north and south. Georgia, two-back system where each guy can do different things. We've seen that a long, long time. Does that match up here in terms of uh, a fit with the personnel that's currently there? Well, I think so. I mean, they've got a good group of backs. I mean, talk about Chandler, Jordan, they had Eric Gray in the mix. Uh, I mean, that's just a good group. Uh, Chandler, obviously, their biggest home run hitter. I was surprised that he disappeared from the, the, the passing game. I think he had almost 200 yards receiving and three touchdowns in four games in the middle of the season, and he went the last month of the season without a catch. So, I mean, finding ways to get him more involved, get him in open space, uh, can really be a big thing for him. He showed time and time again, whether it was against Vanderbilt, uh, against UTEP. He's a home runner. He's a guy who's going to give you that, that 70, 80-yard look if there's going to be anybody that does it. And so, yeah, I mean, a good group. Tim Jordan, tough to tackle. I think they would have liked to see him uh, be a little bit more uh, precise in the hole that he hit last year. Um, but he's tough to tackle, tough to bring down. And we'll kind of see what they've got with Eric Gray uh, as we get a look at him in the spring. David Ubbin, our guest here on The Big Six, he writes at The Athletic, where you should already be a subscriber. Fantastic content about Tennessee from him and a bunch of writers about a bunch of different things. So success doesn't come on paper. I like the hire. It sounds like you like the hire. Most Vols fans seem to be pretty hopeful about the hire. This is better than what I anticipated Tennessee ending up with based on some of the names that were floating around and the possibility to get this wrong. But now football is going to have to be played. Right guys are going to have to be brought in to do it on the field. It's yet to see exactly how well the Cheney offense is going to suit all the personnel. If, is there anything we're missing here or anything I'm missing that, that worries you? What is the potential problem with this Cheney hire? What concerns you, if anything? I mean, I, I think the only thing is, is this reads to me like a low-ceiling, high-floor type of hire. Like, I, it's hard for me to see Tennessee's offense getting a lot worse. I think it's hard for me to see Tennessee with the talent that they have now being like a top 10, top 15 offense. That doesn't feel very possible uh, in this type of scheme. And, and that's not really, I think, something that Pruitt is super worried about. I think it's, you know, control, like I said, control the clock. Don't turn it over. Don't put the defense in bad situations. Let's recruit some athletes. And we'll build from there. And I think that's sort of the goal there. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, I think fans, you know, this is not going to be the most, uh, you know, high-flying, uh, super, you know, butts and seats sort of attack. Um, but I think it's one that will be effective, and I think it's one that, that, that sort of, uh, again, fits with what Pruitt wants his offense to be. Final question. i got one basketball question for you. I need you to talk me off a ledge. Sometimes <laughs> I am way too pessimistic or negative, and I know you're really close down there to the situation. Vols basketball team, they are so much fun to watch. They're a total blast. Reading that SID story, seeing what a good guy Rick Barnes is, it's almost impossible not to root for these guys. But Rick Barnes, not exactly the world's most successful head coach when it comes to March, when it comes to the NCAA tournament. He's gotten to a Final Four, yes, but he's also taken a lot of early exits. So I, I just need to be pulled back off this hotel ledge that tells me Tennessee somehow just gets beaten in the third round, doesn't even make the Sweet 16. They got the <laughs> talent to win it all. I want to tr- I I trust I mean, in that, but thing, Barnes, you, man, you, Barnes. All you got, if you look at what Tennessee is right now, they're a team that, that fits the bill of the, the great teams that make tournament runs. You've got tons of experience. They can shoot the ball. They've got multiple guys they can shoot. They have inside-outside combo. 
You know, you look at what Grant Williams provides inside. Obviously, Schofield and, and Williams can both step out and shoot it if they need to. <laughs> Fulkerson gives them some energy off the bench. Uh, Lamonte Turner came back. You know, Jordan Bowden can shoot it as well. I mean, they have just so many weapons and so many pieces. And when you see the other night, you know, when they have one of their key pieces, you know, have, you know, I think Grant Williams had, what, four points against Missouri and right. they still, you know, rolled over them. I mean, that, those are the kind of things you got to do in March because guys are going to have bad games. It's, what, six, seven games to win it all. Not everyone's going to be on every night. And so when you're leaning on one or two guys, you're going to be in trouble. And I think that's the strength of this Tennessee team is, yeah, they've got two guys that are as good as anybody in the conference, but they got a whole bunch of guys around them that if one of those guys – I mean, the odds are both those guys are not going to be off on a single night, but one of them might be. And this Tennessee team is well-suited to pick up the slack when one of those guys does play poorly. I think you managed to successfully talk me off the ledge. I think that actually makes a lot of sense. Like the, the Texas team that he go. lost with with Durant, I knew about Durant and nobody else on that team. Tennessee is loaded with depth. All right. (laughs) David, always a pleasure. Follow David at David Ubbin on Twitter. We'll talk to you again soon, my friend. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thank you. That is David Ubbin. Again, read his stuff at The Athletic. You know what? He makes a lot of sense. As long as you've got other guys to pick up the slack, it's okay if if a guy maybe no-shows or just can't get it going that night. The depth of this team. This team is so much fun to watch. You'll be able to hear almost every game they play right here on 104.5 The Zone. Coming up next... I teased it yesterday, didn't get to it. We're getting to it tonight. If you had a chance today to take Trevor Lawrence instead of your team's quarterback in the NFL, would you do it? We will go through the list and try to answer that question next. It's the Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Six. It's here on 104.5 The Zone. I'm Jason Martin, blessed beyond measure. I'm on Twitter at jmartzone, 615-737-1045, 735-1045. Thanks to David Ubbin of The Athletic, always great. Follow him at David Ubbin on Twitter. Read his stuff at The Athletic. Good conversation there about Jim Chaney, the new offensive coordinator at Tennessee. If you miss any part of any zone show, There is a podcast available for you. We forgive you. You can subscribe to The Big Six with Jason Martin right now via Apple, via wherever your podcast catcher is of choice, and you can consume my show as well as any other Zone show that you subscribe to 24-7, 365. Consume it however you want and whenever you want. We're going to make it available to you. Trevor Lawrence is not available right now for a couple of more years for the NFL because of the rules. I don't love the rule because I think In a free market and in capitalism, you should be able to ply your wares. I don't know what the difference is other than the NCAA and the NFL do have sort of an agreement, maybe off the record, that both of them need to have marketable stars because it helps both organizations. That's at least been one thing that's been talked about. But the question that I asked on Monday via Twitter, and I got so many responses to this almost immediately. I said, whoever your NFL team is, Answer me this. If you could bounce your guy for Trevor Lawrence, and then I put in parentheses or Tua, but Lawrence is really the one that we're talking about here. Would you do it today? And I was so interested to see the responses because I knew how they would come. It would be, here's my team. Here's the quarterback. Yes or no. And just a few of them. Yeah, Dalton stinks. As a Jaguars fan, my answer is yes and yes and yes to anyone else you name. 
20-plus teams would take Lawrence over their starter on a rookie deal. Titans, and yes, Lawrence would have played against the Colts. Titans for Trevor, absolutely. Coin toss for Tua. I'll stay with Luck. There were a few guys that pretty much 100% you would stay with. But I would say 75% of the responses were throwing their quarterback of record currently for their team under the bus in favor of the freshman from Clemson that just beat Alabama to win a national championship for Dabo Swinney his second three years. So you got Pat Mahomes and you got Russell Wilson and you've got Andrew Luck and you've got Baker Mayfield. You got Deshaun Watson. You got Jared Goff. Those are all names where I think you can make an argument. Then you've got some of the aging quarterbacks. This is not an easy call sometimes. In most cases, the vast majority, as a matter of fact, it's going to go probably to Lawrence because the unknown has hope involved. And some of you already know what you think. So I'm going to go down the list of quarterbacks in the NFL today. And you can call me and talk to Ryan Albanese and get on with me right now at 615-737-1045. Would you do it? What's your team? What's your quarterback? Would you rather have Trevor Lawrence or the guy that you have? He's 6'6", he's 215, maybe not fully into his man body yet. Are you worried about him getting beaten up and killed if he was able to go to the NFL today physically and his career never being able to get off the ground? So we'll take your calls here in just a second. And I believe we've got one right now. We'll go ahead and go to that. Let's go to Dylan and Woodbury. He's up first tonight on the Big Six. Dylan, what's up? Hey, buddy. Uh, I just think it's... I don't know, crazy that anybody would give up Marcus, even with his health issues and, you know, all that for Trevor Lawrence that's, you know, a freshman in college. Yeah, he, he played great in, in the National Championship, sure. But the NFL is the NFL, and there's no way I'm giving Marcus for Trevor Lawrence. And that's all I got to say. I appreciate it, buddy. No problem, Dylan. I'm not saying you're right or wrong. I'm saying that there's, there would be a lot of debate about that question if I just stipulated it to be the Titans. We'd probably have just wall-to-wall phone calls, Marcus Mariota or Trevor Lawrence. But, yeah, he just won a national championship. Let me posit one more question to you that I was thinking about on Monday. Remember, Trevor Lawrence didn't start the season for Clemson. Kelly Bryant did. Ended up transferring when Dabo realized or decided, okay, I've got to go to Trevor. He's the better option for me. He's the better way for me to win a championship. And guess what? That's exactly what he did. Kelly Bryant last year in the semis against Alabama, unable to do it. Kelly Bryant's a great athlete. I think he's a good football player. But this is another Jalen Hurts versus Tua situation. Kelly Bryant's going to win some games at Missouri. But Trevor Lawrence, you just could not leave that guy on the bench any longer. And that's, you know, that, that's generally what we've seen. But there, here's the question for you. If Trevor Lawrence had played from day one this year, if there had not been a Kelly Bryant starting at the start of the 2018 football season for Clemson, are we sure Kyler Murray wins the Heisman because of what he did at Oklahoma? Are we sure that Trevor Lawrence is not the Heisman Trophy winner right now? Because his stats, I mean, he wasn't in the top three. You had Haskins, you had Tua, and then you had Kyler. All of them were brilliant. I wasn't going to be angry if any of the three of them won. But if Trevor Lawrence had played from the start, looking at his arm talent, looking at his wide receiver talent, looking at ATN, running the football, and just that Clemson juggernaut and the way that that offense was able to move the ball against Alabama's defense and increasingly against other defenses as Lawrence got more and more comfortable. Do you think Trevor Lawrence could have potentially won the Heisman as a freshman this year? Just food for thought. Let's do a quick list. Ben Roethlisberger or Trevor Lawrence. At this point... 
a lot of these questions come down to age. Roethlisberger for a couple years, but Trevor Lawrence long-term for sure. Pat Mahomes, I'll take Pat Mahomes. Matt Ryan, toss-up for me, but Matt Ryan's age, you probably still you probably still go with Matt Ryan. Jared Goff, McVay has made Goff pretty good. Imagine what he could do with Lawrence. Andrew Luck, I'll stick with the captain. Aaron Rodgers, 35 years old, surly and difficult to deal with. Most of the Green Bay fans that hit me up and replied to me at Jmart Zone to this question said, we'll take Trevor Lawrence. I'm just telling you what they said. Tom Brady at his age, I'm taking Trevor Lawrence. Because, again, this season gets over, so you've got another chance to win a Super Bowl this year. New England's playing this weekend. Tomorrow, by the way, we'll spend basically the whole show going through the divisional round of the playoffs and picking those games and breaking them all down to get you all set for Saturday and Sunday. Phillip Rivers at his age, he's having one of the best seasons of his career, but how much longer is his career? Eli Manning, not even a question I'll take Trevor Lawrence. Kirk Cousins, another toss-up. Has lost a lot of big games, not in the playoffs in his first season. Don't know how much of that is on him. I love Trevor Lawrence's talent. Deshaun Watson, I'm going to stick with Deshaun Watson for right now. Derek Carr, I'll take Trevor Lawrence. Drew Brees, I don't know how long Drew Brees is going to play. That's another age question. Case Keenum, Dak Prescott, Matthew Stafford, I'll take Trevor Lawrence. Baker Mayfield, I'll stick with Baker. Russell Wilson, I'll stick with Russell Wilson. Cam Newton, I will risk Trevor Lawrence. Trubisky, not even close. Trevor Lawrence. Carson Wentz, I still believe in Carson Wentz. I'll stick with him, but the injuries concern me. Jameis Winston, give me Lawrence. Sam Darnold, I will keep Darnold. Blake Bortles, do we really even need to mention that name? Andy Dalton, same deal. Marcus Mariota, I don't even want to answer that question. People are going to be mad either way with whatever I say. I'm tempted to say Trevor Lawrence. Joe Flacco, Trevor Lawrence. Ryan Fitzpatrick, Trevor Lawrence. Josh Rosen, I'll stick with Rosen. We got to we got to see more from Josh Rosen before we give up on him. I think he's got real potential. Nick Mullins played pretty well with Kyle Shanahan this year. But I'll take Lawrence. Alex Smith, Lawrence. Josh Allen, Lawrence. Tannehill, Lawrence. Foles, mm-hmm, Lawrence. Bethard, Osweiler, Lamar Jackson, Jeff Driscoll, Garoppolo, Kessler. All of them, I'm taking Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence is going to have the most hype of a quarterback coming out in the NFL draft in two years since Andrew Luck. He's that kind of quarterback, but he's ahead of schedule. We're paying attention to him faster than we were paying attention to Andrew Luck. Could it all go south? Yes. We don't know what's going to happen. We're going to have to wait a couple of more years. It's going to be fun to watch him on campus. It's going to be fun to watch him play football for the next couple of years. But it's amazing, and it speaks to his talent and just the leap-off-the-page ability of Trevor Lawrence that we could actually have this question and it make any sense whatsoever. Coming up next, a guy that's making less and less sense is Antonio Brown. Would you want him on your football team? We'll ask that question next. It's the Big Six on 104.5 The Zone. the final segment of the Big Six here on 104.5 Zone. The show just flies by. Never have enough time to get to everything. I'm Jason Martin. I'm on Twitter at jmartzone. 615-737-1045. Ryan Albanese behind the glass spin of the Dodgers radio style for me tonight doing a great job. My thanks to David Ubbin of The Athletic. Good reason to go subscribe to the podcast Big Six with Jason Martin. If you missed any part of this show, also you can read my work, pop culture, sports, elsewhere. 104.5thezone.com slash Big Six blog.
Glass releases next week, which is the third part of this unbreakable split superhero M. Night Shyamalan trilogy that we didn't know was going to become what it has. I will be screening that film next week, but I'm going to be writing reviews on both Unbreakable and Split over the next few days. Two films I did not review originally when they came out, but I think it would be a good primer for you if you're interested in seeing Glass, so you can look forward to seeing that at 1045thezone.com slash big6blog. I was talking about last segment, the tweet that I sent out Monday night from at jmartzone saying if you had the chance to dump your quarterback in the NFL for whatever team you pull for, and get Trevor Lawrence today, would you take it for the next half decade or longer? And most people said yes. One person tweeted me during the last break and said Trevor Lawrence was not the reason that Clemson won. It was that Alabama didn't score when they usually did. And as a result, basically what I was suggesting about Trevor Lawrence being at all worthy of this discussion was fraudulent. I mentioned this stat last night. I'm going to mention it again. Agree to disagree, sir. But appreciate your input. This is Brad Edwards. Prior to the final drive that ran out the clock Monday night with Clemson and Alabama, more than 60% of the Tigers' yards, 235 of 388, came from Trevor Lawrence passes on third down with more than five yards to go. Again, agree to disagree. Venable's defense was fantastic. No question about that. Clemson has a whole lot of talent. But the biggest thing that you watched on Monday night was Alabama being unable to stop Lawrence in that offense. To the fact that Nick Saban made the worst decision of his coaching career on that fake because he knew he couldn't stop him. He recognized it just like everybody watching that broadcast did. So let's talk about Antonio Brown. I'm going to talk some about Kyler Murray tomorrow on this show, and we will talk a lot about the NFL Divisional Round games. But let's talk about Antonio Brown. And I've talked about him a few times on this show in the last couple of weeks. A team source inside the Steelers organization said the reason Antonio Brown pulled the no-show act, this is a working theory within the Steelers organization, the reason he pulled that no-show act in the lead-up to the regular season finale and then didn't play was to prove Juju Smith-Schuster was not that great without him. Juju, 111 catches, 1,426 yards, and seven touchdowns this year. That day against Cincinnati, five catches, 37 yards, and a touchdown. And today, team president Art Rooney II said, although they're not going to release Antonio Brown, every other option is on the table. Told the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette in an interview, quote, it would be hard to envision, unquote, Antonio Brown in a roster, a Steelers roster by the time training camp starts up in July. Folks, this is an all-pro of all-pro receivers. Six straight 100-catch seasons. Looks Canton-bound. They're already measuring measuring him for that yellow jacket. Still very much in his prime. Good years left in his career. And here is the team president saying he's probably going to be gone. How difficult is 84 to deal with? Clearly, the answer is very. But I'm going to go back to that report. It's not confirmed, of course. It's a working theory that Brown pulled this act to try and show that Juju was not as good as people thought. Can you imagine being as good as Antonio Brown and still being jealous of attention being paid elsewhere? Pride is a really ugly thing, and we are all guilty as sin, literally, of it. Rather than help his team win a game that had major playoff implications, if this is true, Antonio Brown 
decided to try and prove he was the best by not participating in team activities that week. If that's the case, I don't care if he's the greatest receiver in NFL history. You can keep that dude away from my franchise. The word to describe behavior like that is toxic. It's narcissistic, insecure toxicity. How do you even deal with that? I mean, think about Rashard Matthews here in Nashville. Wanted to be a bigger part of the offense, wasn't happy, left the team high and dry at a time when they were already injury-riddled and needed him desperately, and then he proceeded to do diddly squat with the Jets. Originally didn't like his usage in Miami, was disappointed when the team traded for Stills and drafted Devontae Parker. I talked about how wide receivers are divas by definition of the position. If you want more on that, subscribe to the podcast, The Big Six with Jason Martin. I laid out that theory in great detail. My version is, what I've believed is, it's one-on-one competition between a wide receiver and a DB all day long with a spotlight on it. Once that football's in the air, everybody's eyes go to those two players, and it becomes a bragging rights, ego-driven, smack-talking firestorm. And these guys have to play with that mentality, and so it bleeds over into their off-field personas. This dude's got it all. He's on the cover of Madden, double digits worth of endorsements, rich, rich, rich contract. But if you watch how he's acting right now, you see another example of how money and fame and all that goes with that is ultimately empty and fraudulent without something else behind it that sustains a person. I'll be watching this story very closely. Before we get out of here, let's make you smarter. I've said a lot about Kingsbury and Matt LaFleur this week. Here's something about Cliff Kingsbury. Baker Mayfield went 5-3 and three under Kingsbury, and then Cliff benched him for Davis Webb. Patrick Mahomes under Cliff Kingsbury, 13-19. and 19. Pat Mahomes, 13-19. and 19. Mahomes was 17-18 and 18 in other games. I'm not saying it can't work. I'm saying the fact he knows Sean McVay obviously helped him get that job. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. God bless. And good night. We got hoops, but Fox Sports Radio next.